The Word of God from Mark. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was, taking her by the hand. And he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Altogether, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Remain standing as we pray and commend this time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we worship you and we bless you for, for your word. Your word is holy. Uh, your word teaches us how to know you and how to love you and how to walk in this world with wisdom um, and care for the other. Lord, I pray that in these moments as we explore your word that your spirit would apply them to our hearts, that we would know you, that we'd love you and give ourselves fully to you. Lord, for those who, whose heart is a little sad or um, broken um, or anxious, I pray that by your spirit that your word would be um, a balm of healing. Uh, we all, in some measure, need healing this morning. 
Uh, provide it, we pray. All to the glory of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everyone. If uh, you didn't hear earlier, I'm Ronnie. I'm one of the pastors here at Denver Prez. So presently, we're in the middle of a sermon series on the gospel of Mark. And what this gospel helps us to do is study the stories of people discovering Jesus for who he truly is. And so this morning, we're going to primarily be studying the, the story of a woman who, as we just heard, suffered uh, 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 with a, from a hemorrhage that lasted 12 years. And the story is really touching when you get into the details. Now, it's important to notice that this story of the woman comes to us right in the middle of another story. The episode of this woman is kind of like this interlude to a different story about this religious official whose name is Jairus. Now, Jairus had a little girl, 12 years old, who's critically sick. And so the passage begins with Jesus and Jairus on their way to Jairus' house to help his daughter. And while they're walking together, Jesus has this encounter with this woman who had been sick. And it's really important, I know it's a long passage, that we don't separate these two stories. And here's why. Every time a person discovers Jesus for who he truly is, their lives are changed. In the same way that you just can't walk away from a train wreck, you can't walk away from a train wreck with the love of Christ. And that's what we get. In our story this morning, we're going to see Jesus heal two people. A woman who's sick with this chronic disease and a little girl. But guess who is the person who's getting healed in the deepest sense? It's Jairus. It's Jairus. And he's the only one that no one thought was even sick. So Jairus, he had no ailment. But as he walked with Jesus to his own home, Jairus discovered who Jesus truly is. And Jesus is not a magician, right? He doesn't do cheap tricks for people. Jesus is God, the compassionate Lord of the living and the dead, the sick and the well, the rich and the poor, and the accepted and the abandoned. The healing of the sick woman and this little girl is the platform for the healing of Jairus. And let me just say that this is actually like the point of this whole sermon series. Like we really want you to have front row seats to Jesus' ministry. Just like Jairus, he had front row seats. And we really want you to know him. We want you to know the Savior. You know, we live in this world where the words Jesus Christ are as ordinary as the word cheeseburger. Uh, there, there's a kind of casualness and therefore this irreverence to the person and work of Jesus. And really under no circumstances are we allowing Jesus to change our choices to shape how we see the world. I mean, at best, at best in our modern day, Jesus is this companion in our journey who rubber stamps or blindly approves what we already want. 
But he's not shaping and forming and directing what we should want, you see. And I would suggest that the only reason that we can be so casual with Jesus is because we've lost our vision for who he truly is. It's like we have this detonator to a nuclear bomb. And and there we are just throwing around our living room like it's a Nerf ball or something. Like we're clueless. I got some good news. Jairus was clueless too. And Jesus took Jairus on this adventure to discover who he truly is. In the same way that Jairus had this exclusive vantage point to learn about Jesus, so do we this morning. So do we. So this morning, we're going to study Jesus' encounter with a woman, this woman who had this 12-year-old flow. And through it, we're going to discover what it taught Jairus about faith and sin. Faith and sin. So if you're a note taker, and there's like six of you who are, uh, um, we have a two-point sermon. We're going to look at faith that is both private and public, and then we're going to look at sin that both departs and enters. So faith that's private and public, and sin that departs and enters. With that brief outline, let's start with faith that is private and public. So let me begin by telling you about Jairus. So we're told in verse 22, you'll see there in your Bible, that Jairus is one of the rulers of the synagogue. And here's what that means. is that this man was respected in his town, right? He's a community leader. He's likely a part of the Pharisee party, which was the sector of the Jewish community that had the most prominence with the people, right? And and coincidentally, this is the same group that is growing increasingly impatient with Jesus and his teachings, but those are his people. Now, Jairus, by going to Jesus... He's breaking ranks with the Pharisees. It's similar to what we see with Nicodemus, if you're familiar with that story, except Nicodemus went at night so no one would see him. So he's breaking ranks. Why is he doing that? Here's why. Because Jairus is a family man. And he has a 12-year-old little girl that he loves very much. And he is suffering because his little baby girl is dying. Listen, really rich and successful people have their little girls die all the time. Suffering does not discriminate. There is no interview process. So this man, he felt this urgency and this desperation that made him put his politics aside and fall at the feet of Jesus. That's what verse 22 tells us. He falls at the feet of Jesus. And guess what? Jesus agrees to help. So the two of them start on this journey through the town. Jesus had been there before. The crowds knew about his healing. The crowds knew about him casting out demons. And so since his arrival, there were these great crowds. Verse 24 tells us that they thronged about him. I don't even know what that word means exactly. Like, who uses that word, thronged about him? But there they are. This would, be, um, this would be like Jesus walking through the streets of Mardi Gras in New Orleans right at peak hour, right? Something like that. So imagine the scene. Tons of people. Now Jairus is in a hurry because his daughter is dying. And Mark tells us that there's this woman who absolutely should not be at the Mardi Gras party, right? 
she has had this menstrual flow for 12 years. Uh, We're never told her name, but let me tell you a little bit about her. By virtue of being a woman in her own culture, she had no status. Unlike Jairus, she's nobody important. We don't even know her name. And her disease is the cause for shame and isolation. See, according to Jewish law, Leviticus 15, a woman with a discharge is considered unclean. What this means is that she's not permitted to go into the temple or go into a synagogue. So she has not been in public worship for 12 years. And when a person is ceremonially unclean, it means that she can't touch other people because then they would be considered unclean for a time, right? So this is like a, a religious coronavirus, right? You go, she's quarantining for 12 years. She is a social pariah. It's inconvenient to socialize with her. And to make matters worse, verse 26 tells us that she has spent her whole life savings. She does not have an IRA. She has spent all of her money trying to get better, but no one can help. She's broke. And she's isolated. She has no husband, no children. And in that patriarchal context, that, that, that's her security. And she's, she doesn't have any. Now, when you consider all of these factors, what follows is truly incredible. This woman should not be in the middle of these crowds, but she's desperate. Her covert operation is really risky. But there's just something in her, something in her that says, verse 28, if I touch even his garments, like if I could just lay hands on even his garments, I will be made well. She just like wants to touch the tassel of Jesus. Now listen, this may not be superstitious, but it's a little stitious, right? This is not like some grand act of faith. But this is the first thing that I want you to notice. Her faith might be weak. And she might be the only one who even knows about this faith. It might be a private faith, but it is real. And what we see already in this is that a weak faith in a great God is far superior to a strong faith in a weak God. And she gets this. Now, how do I know this about her? Verse 29 tells us that she was immediately healed. Like she could feel it in her body, like it worked. And so Jesus stops and he asks, verse 30, who touched my garments? Now listen, Jesus knew, right? Like Jesus knows everything. This is Jesus. Y'all remember like third chapter in the whole Bible, Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, they jumped into the bush, and God asks, where are you? Remember when he asked that? God knew. He knew. He's God. Why did he ask a question that he already knew the answer to? It's because he wanted a relationship with them. Even in the rebellion, he wants a relationship. So see, Jesus here is not asking a question to gather information. It's an invitation into a relationship. 
with this woman. See, although her faith first began in secret, Jesus did not want it to stay that way. He wanted it to become public. Who touched me? I want to see you. I want you to see that I see you. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to look past you like every other single person in your life. I want to see you and have a relationship with you. Now, the disciples are like a little bit annoyed at this point. Did you notice that? Look there at verse 31. They say, Lord, we're like we're walking through the streets of Mardi Gras, right? Everyone is touching you. What kind of question is that? See, this woman was reaching out to touch in a different way than those other people. Her touch was different. So Jesus stops and he delays. Now, I want you to remember that Jairus, right, has these front row seats and his 12-year-old daughter is on the brink of death. I mean, think about this with me for a second. Could you imagine your child is in this awful car accident, trauma to the head, bleeding out. You're in the emergency room and the doctor is with you and with your child. And in that moment, someone like comes up to you and shows you their severely infected stitches in their leg. And I mean, it's bad, but they're not going to die. And the doctor just like stops in that moment and says, well, let's, uh, let's talk about that. Like, what's your story? Like, wouldn't you be irate? Wouldn't you? Jesus stops and delays. Who touched me? Why does... Why does Jesus ask that question? First, he needs her to know that he loves her. He's not going to let this woman play tag with him and then run off. No touch and run. He wants to know her story. This woman knows what has happened. And then verse 33 tells us that she, when she realizes that she's been found out, she falls down before him. And it says, it told him the whole truth. Now this woman's identity is out, right? I mean, she's, she's outed herself publicly in the Mardi Gras setting, right? No more hiding. Her secret faith is now becoming public. And listen, this woman, like she desperately wanted to be healed. She did. But Jesus longs. To give her something so much more. Verse 34. Daughter. Daughter. Your faith has made you well. Like Jesus has never even met this woman. And he doesn't want to just heal her to make her clean. He wants to make her family. And he does so so that everyone else can see And here, Jesus wanted to make sure that this isolated woman is seen and known. Her faith started in private, but now it's in public. And Jesus made sure of it. The healing that happened to her is not just some kind of magic power. It's it's her faith, right? Her faith made her well, which was first private, now it's public. And he needs her to know 
that he loves her. But he also wants his disciples and the crowds to know that he loves her. He needs her. She, he, he wants her to know that she loves her. He needs a crowd to know. But he really also wants Jairus, front row seat Jairus, to know that he loves this woman. See, by healing this woman, he's also healing Jairus. This woman has been in his community for 12 years with this condition. She wants to go to his church, but she's not permitted because of her illness. And Jesus is saying, Jairus, Jairus, like, I know you're in a hurry. I know you're in a hurry, but have you ever really seen this woman before? I mean, I know you see her, but do you see her or do you just, like, look past her? Have you ever stopped? Let her inconvenience you. Let her tell you her story. Or is she just someone you try to avoid? Jairus. Those 12 years of joy that you have had with your daughter have been 12 years of suffering for this precious woman. Do you know that I came for her too? You know, it makes me ask myself, who are the invisible people in my life that I don't see? I mean, maybe I see them, but I don't truly see them. Jesus came for them too. Jesus did not come for one kind of person who's all put together. He came for all kinds of people. And Jairus, this religious leader, is learning about the wide, the wide, wide love of Christ. I hope you are too. I hope you are too. And so this is a good time to transition to our second point. What I've tried to suggest is that in our passage this morning, there are two girls that are being healed. Jairus seeks the healing of his own little girl, but Jesus takes him on an adventure to ensure that he's the one who's truly healed. So first we saw faith that is both private and public. Now we're going to see sin that both departs and enters. Now there's a second feature in this passage. It's really strange. You've probably already noticed it, but it's really important. As Jesus is walking with Jairus through the streets, pressed in by the crowds, we noted that the woman touched him, right? We've already established that. But Mark tells us in verse 30, it says, look there in your Bibles, Jesus perceived in himself that a power had gone out from him. Y'all see that? Like, does anyone think that's strange? Like, that's really strange. Is this like Jesus has a superpower battery that needs to be charged and recharged after each use? Like, like, what's going on here? You know, I've often wondered why in Marvel Avenger movies, like, I don't know, like the Scarlet Witch, like when she's using her powers, like she's always grunting, like almost like she's lifting weights or something. Like, what's that about? Is that like, is that what's going on here? No. The answer to our question is actually much more profound. So theologians have thought about this for centuries. And here's what we're meant to learn by that verse. Jesus came to heal the world because sin has ravished and vandalized everything, right? Sin has corrupted our souls and corrupted our moral lives. Moreover, importantly, 
sin is the conduit in which death and disease actually comes into the world. In other words, when sin entered the world, not only were human beings corrupted and alienated from God, but all of creation, the entire created order, has been vandalized and is now alienated from God. This is why it's not just that people have sin. This is why cancer exists. This is why there are ecological crises. Everything needs healing because sin corrupts and vandalizes everything, the entire created order, even our bodies. Now, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 53, the prophet tells us that this Messiah is going to come and deal with this sin. And he does so by bearing it in his body, bearing in his body our iniquity, our transgression. Indeed, he's bearing in his body the corruption of, the, of all creation. Now, with that sort of theological paradigm in mind, we go back and we think about this precious woman's sickness. This woman is experiencing the, cor- the corruption and the vandalization of the creation deeply and personally. Her body doesn't work the way it's supposed to work. Are y'all seeing this? And when she touches Jesus, she's immediately healed. Her sin-corrupted disease left her in the same way that Jesus' power left him. So why does Mark include this little detail It's because you're supposed to understand that it cost Jesus personally to heal this precious woman. See, her healing is free for her, but it's not free for Jesus. Something left him. So there's this exchange in the moment, right? So we've got to understand that healing a 12-year hemorrhage, that's easy for Jesus. Like, that price is payable. It wasn't a high price for Jesus. But there's a principle here. The sin and corruption that departs must also enter. So what comes next will be more demanding, more demanding than 12-year hemorrhage. Now, at this point, Jesus and Jairus have still not come to their primary mission. Healing this woman was just a sovereign interruption And right when, or just as Jesus heals the woman, verse 35 tells us that a report came to them, the entourage, to tell them that Jairus' daughter is dead. Jesus apparently has waited too long. Like, don't even bother anymore. Like, what's the point? They ask, why go any further? Now, Jesus, he's not bothered by this report. He says, He says to Jairus, he turns to him very compassionately and says, Do not fear, only believe. Verse 36. Now what happens next, you guys, is crazy. At this point, Jesus completely blocks the crowds from continuing with them any further. Like he doesn't allow this, the Mardi Gras crowd to follow him anymore. Y'all see that? Now why, why does he do this? In the first case... Jesus wanted the crowds so that the woman could be publicly reinstated in their community. He needed the crowds to reinstate her. 
right? Jesus wanted to take her out of private shame and into public honor. He was glad to lock arms with her. But that's not the case for what comes next. So Jesus is not just simply interested in putting on a show for the crowds. Like, Jesus never performs miracles just to show off. So in this case, he dismisses the the circus crowds, right? The, 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 The unbelief. He dismisses the unbelief. And he allows only those with faith to remain. So he's not doing apologetics with miracles. That's not what he's up to here. This healing, it's not for the skeptics. It's for the faithful. So when Jesus arrives, he enters the room. And now there are people there crying. Now these are what we might call professional mourners. It's kind of weird for modern people. We don't really have a category, or at least Western modern people. This is something that's still practiced in Middle Eastern cultures. And Jesus says to them, verse 39, he asks, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping, he says. Now at this, it kind of flips a switch, right? They're crying starts turning into laughing or or mocking. They think Jesus is crazy. Again, just like before, he then dismisses them from the room. He's not putting on a show. He's not a showman. He's not an advertisement. He's not a circus attraction. Now, with only the child's parents in the room, Jesus whispers, verse 41, Talitha kumi. Now, many of you guys know your New Testament is written in Greek, uh, but on a few few occasions, the authors would maintain the original language of the Aramaic. So, for instance, you guys might know the word Abba or Abba Father. So Abba is just this affectionate way of saying Dad in Aramaic. And so those kind of tender moments would always stick in the imaginations of the writers, and so they would often preserve the original language in the text. So Talitha Kumi, it tells us, means little girl, I say to you, arise. Now listen, those would be the same words that a mother would say to her child as, uh, as, as she's waking her up for the first day of school. Little girl, I say to you, arise. Or the, these might be, those would be the same words that a father would share, would say to his little girl on their first day of a trip to Disney World. Little girl, I say to you, arise. Like, it's a really sweet way to speak. It's like saying, okay, baby girl, it's time to wake up. Sweet. It's tender. It's personal. Upon saying those sweet words, what happens? In the same way that the disease left the woman, death left this little girl. And she wakes up. All right, baby girl, it's time to get up. As if she were sleeping the whole time. If you're Jairus, can you just imagine, like, the elation in his heart, right? People had seen Jesus heal sick people before. But, like, raising the dead? Like, raising the dead? Like, that is a whole different category. Now listen closely, because the author, John Mark, is showing us something really important in the text. This healing now creates a tension for the listener, for the reader that wasn't there before. 
in the same way that it cost Jesus personally to heal the woman, it will cost him again, but this time the price will be higher. More than just a little bit of power leaving him, more will be required this time. Because this is a whole different category. This healing would not just cost him a little bit of power. It would cost him his breath leaving his body as he dies a death that this little girl deserves. But he would do it for her. By telling us that Jesus raises this little girl from death, Mark is preparing us to see what's going to happen to Jesus nine chapters later. Jairus, the father, front row seats, is learning that by reversing the fate of this little girl, Jesus is sealing his own fate because the debt would come, would come due. We must not forget the sin and corruption and the vandalization that departs must also enter. What do you think this moment did in the heart of this father? What do you think it did? So Jesus heals a woman with a 12-year flow. Jesus Heals a little girl, 12 years old. But Jesus healed the rebellious heart of Jairus for an eternity. Jairus' life got turned upside down. There's the train wreck we're talking about. You can't just walk away from a train wreck. Jairus became a truly loyal man. That's what happens when people get to know Jesus for who he truly is. You remember what I said is the whole purpose of this gospel? I really want you to meet the real Jesus. I want you to be obsessed with him. Like I want you to be crazy about it. I want you to be nuts with Jesus. Like we can't go on with cultural Christianity because he is who he says he is. This is true. This has got to mean something for us. That our most holy obsession in this life has got to be with Jesus. Jairus was never the same after meeting Jesus. He gave up everything to follow him. How about you? Have you met him? Have you met the real Jesus? Do you know what Christ paid to have you? To heal you, to heal your broken heart, to make sure that the saddest thing in your life will come untrue. May the Lord give you faith and give you healing. Amen.